Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Command Space. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined today by Dalton Caldwell, the CEO and founder of App.net. Um, this is going to be a real great episode. But before we start this week's show, um, I just want to say thank you to one of our sponsors. Um, so one of our sponsors this week is Igloo Software. Igloo is an internet you actually like. With Igloo, you can give updates, have discussions, and share files of your team or your work group or your project group all in one place. You can use their built-in activity stream to actually see what files people are creating, what they're sharing with each other, or with clients. You can collaborate on documents and view all comments in line so you don't have to pay email tennis, throwing documents backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, checking changes on them all. You can even revert to previous versions of hosted documents, like, like Time Machine. There is SSL available, and it's secure inside or outside of firewalls. You can make a corporate intranet for your team and a customer community for your clients, keeping your private information separated, but still retaining one interface for your team to use. Even with all these fancy pants features, it's still really affordable. Pricing for Igloo starts at just $99 per month for a team of up to 25 people. Go to igloosoftware.com forward slash 70 decibels where you can sign up for a no commitment, no obligation, free 30-day trial. And look out soon for Igloo's new version, version Q, which is being pushed out to customers, which gives even more fantastic features like RSS feeds for activity streams, social analytics that are being rolled out to all Igloo customers so they can see how the community is being used, things like app mentions for search throughout the platform, and much, much more. I'd like to thank Igloo for their support of Command Space. So, hello to Mr. Dalton Caldwell of App.net. Hi, Dalton. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, my man. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. It's really great. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's been it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. It's um, been an interesting ride for you over the last little while, um, I'm, I'm sure. So, what I want to do today um, on, on this episode of Command Space is talk to you Obviously, about App.net, I want to talk a little bit about the the history and the funding process, and and you know what that was, and talk about how the the company and the service has evolved, and and looking into the future as well. Um, and we've got a bunch of listener uh, questions interspersed throughout. Sure, sounds good. Excellent. So, I suppose this is the question that I'm sure you're asked in every interview that you've ever done, but. Um, so maybe we just take the cliff notes from it for anybody that doesn't know. But where did the idea for App.net come from? Sure. So the idea is um, I've had in my mind as as a third-party developer on other people's social platforms how I would prefer them to work as opposed to how they do work in practice um, for, for years. Um, just my background is I was the founder of a music startup called iMeme, which uh, had over 26 million registered users and was quite, pro- quite popular uh, a few years ago. Um, and it was eventually purchased by MySpace. But uh, long story short, we we lived in the MySpace ecosystem and dealt with a lot of quote-unquote platform issues with MySpace at the time, as well as Facebook, as it was starting to take off. This would have been five or six years ago. And have done a great deal of development on Facebook, on MySpace. Um, we did a lot of Twitter development uh, in the past few years, um, as well as iOS and Android, we, we had an iMeme client on Android the day that Android launched, uh, literally one of the first hundred apps on the platform, um, as well as a, a very popular iOS app. So I've, I've spent a lot of time 
dealing with these different ecosystems. And again, I've always had this conception of how I think it should have worked or how I would like it to work as a third party dev um, to build companies on top of. And, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, Twitter had a lot of things right in the early days in terms of how they ran their platform and what you could build with it and was kind of disappointed to see it go off the rails. Um, so anyway, so this is a lot of these ideas are honestly very old ideas that I've been kicking around um, for a while. And it just a lot of things lined up that it seemed like, um, you know, July of this year was the time to to make all those ideas um, something like a real service that you could that you could use. And I guess looking at it from a, looking at the timeline, the, the quite interesting thing thinking back and when I was doing some research for this episode was that a lot of the issues that we as um, users of, of the uh, like of social services, like especially Twitter, let's look at Twitter, you know, that's the service that you are obviously most likely compared to. A lot of the issues that we have with Twitter now um, weren't around at the time when uh, the app.net funding started they kind of they sort of coincided a lot of the 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 you know them telling uh, third party developers things are going to be changing and it kind of all happened around the same time didn't it yeah it did i mean it we definitely benefited from things that happened after we announced the project but it wasn't a coincidence that part of what made me especially um you know get put in the emotional state to want to do something like this is watching um, some of the things coming out that I thought were fairly ridiculous yeah. regarding the treatment of third parties. And again, it's not just, it's not like Twitter is the only problem here. I mean, we, we see the same things happening again in the same, in the same time span with, with Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Facebook's largest platform partner um, is basically getting hung out to dry right now, uh, meaning Zynga. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's there's any number of complexities that, I personally experienced on Facebook's platform as well. So again, like this, this has been a big trend of the year is as these social platforms are trying to monetize, um, you know, there's fallout from it and it's adversely affecting, in my opinion, the, the developer ecosystem, the user ecosystem. And I don't, I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Part of, part of the plan with app.net is this is a long play where Mm -hmm. I expect this to take years um, to see if the experiment works or not. Right. So what you know what what you guys decided to do was to create a service that was like a status updating service like Twitter um but to make the users pay for it so you wouldn't have to look at advertising models and selling people's data and things like that. Yeah, I mean, the way the way I think about this is that let's just say we're having a conversation, we're trying to imagine how an open API service could work. Um Let's ignore business models for a second. There was a time when Twitter considered being a pure play API service and having no first party applications at all. And that was, that was the direction they took in the early days of the company. And they realized that to effectively monetize it via advertising to build, you know, to keep it free and have kind of a Google AdWords kind of play, they would need to control all the screen space. Mm-hmm. They would need to control um, the URL clickstream via t.co, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, there's all these things that to build a successful ad business, you have to control. Mm-hmm. And so I would argue that what happened is that the moves that are being made are the natural conclusion of the ad-supported business model. 
So the way to think about app.net is not, oh, wow, you know, paid is the answer to everything. This should be all things to all people. It was, it was an honest intellectual attempt to come up with a plan on how you wouldn't end up with the same outcome in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine some new Twitter-like service comes out that's also free um, and that's eventually going to be ad-supported someday. I, cannot, I could not make a um, convincing argument that it would not end up in exactly the same outcome. And so one of the reasons the, the reason this is a paid platform is um, this, is a, this was the best way I could come up with to align incentives between the various parties and not end up with the end game of the company buys a few third-party apps, it shuts everyone else down, calls it a day. Right. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. That's, yeah. that's where the paid part comes from. It's from trying to actually um, do things differently this time. <laughs> uh, because I think we know how the story ends with ad supported. Yes, we do. Or at least we can see where it's going anyway. But, you know, it happened to Dig, right? Dig yeah. had to redesign dramatically. And it happened to MySpace. Uh, mm-hmm. we've, we've, uh, we've seen this cycle happen several times over different generations of social sites. It's an old model now, isn't it? Yeah, it's been, it's been tried. You know, there's probably been three or four full generations of, of innovation um, since, you know, the Friendster era. So when when it came to to starting, uh, when you decided you wanted to kick off the service, instead of opening the doors and allowing people to pay, um, you decided to go for a a sort of crowdsourced model, kind of like Kickstarter. But my understanding was because of some of the rules, you had to to go it on your own um, and create your own uh, sort of pledging um, system. Yeah, that's correct. Kickstarter does not; they explicitly say no web businesses. Um, they they prefer physical goods. Yeah. Uh, it's in there. It's in their fact. Um, and yeah. So you decided to go on on your own with this, and I just sort of wondered what basically you know it kicked off, and and you know people were claiming their usernames and things like that, and I just wanted to kind of get an idea from you because it was how long was the the funding process? Was it thirty days? Thirty days. Yes, that's correct. What was like? Talk me through the the what I assume is only a roller coaster of emotion of those thirty days. Like, what was that process like for, for you? It was, um, yeah, it was, it was very stressful and yeah, it was an emotional roller coaster. I, um, the reason we did it that way is that again, um, if we're debating ourselves, if I'm trying to make a convincing case for why, uh, this is worth doing, you need some small amount of critical mass for developers to want to show up and for users to show up. Right. And it would seem pretty lame and a waste of everyone's time to just launch something and have, you know, 200 people sign up, which was a very real possibility. Right. Um, so Mm -hmm. by, by making it a Kickstarter, like all or nothing proposition, I can ensure that there would be a there there if it succeeded. And if it didn't succeed, the, the people that supported us, you know, the very people that, you know, uh, stuck their neck out to see it work would not have some huge, you know, would not feel like they got the shaft, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, uh, and so that's why I intentionally structured that way. So, at least for ourselves, you're creating a binary outcome where it either happens, and we have the critical mass to have something that's financially sustainable, and that there will be enough of a user base for devs to be to experiment with and have beta testers and whatnot, um, or you know, or nothing at all. Um, so, in terms of yeah, the the psychological aspects, it was. Um, I would not say it's the most trustful period of my professional career, but I would say top um, 
two or three. And um, I think the reason was I, I was not used to having that much scrutiny yeah. in the press and in blogs and on, and on podcasts, uh, frankly, right? Like I'd, I'd run larger companies before with hundreds of employees and, um, and way, way more users than app.net has, but I had never experienced having, um, the merits of our ideas be picked apart, um, by very famous and influential people in a very regular way. Yeah. I um, mean, for, for 30 days, you yes. guys were the subject of everything. I mean, on, on our shows, on our network, we covered app.net every week. Um, five by five, we're covering you guys every yeah. week. You know, it was a, you were under the spotlight intensely yeah. for 30 and days. And I've never experienced that before. Uh, and so, yeah, frankly, that was, um, that was very uh, difficult, right? Because, uh, yeah. again, I'm used to – there's certain things that I've been used to doing the past few years, but I've never got to listen to podcasts of uh, all sorts of – you know, like I had to stop listening to all the podcasts, honestly, because it was just too much. You know, yeah, it was, too much. It's too much to, to hear your people talking about you all the time, I'm sure. Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, it's there were a lot of ups and downs, but what's true is that when, when it did succeed – it felt good, but it it wasn't celebratory in the sense that we knew now the now the real hard work begins. Exactly, right? It yeah. wasn't like, oh, we're done. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> it was like, well, you know, uh, I guess we're doing this, so we better do a good job and the scrutiny is not gonna stop. Um and it and it hasn't, frankly. Um, so um I'm gonna ask you this. Was there any point during the process where you thought you weren't gonna make it? Or were you confident the whole way through? Yeah, I, I talked about this uh, a little bit before. I mean, it's it's a classic case of cognitive dissonance where I simultaneously be- believed it would work and that it wouldn't work pretty much the entire time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I really yeah. did know that it was going to work because, again, like, these are the ideas were pretty sound. And from a technical perspective, I knew we could deliver. And now that we're here in the future, Hopefully you can see that we delivered the service that we promised in fairly short order, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I was very confident that this was not vaporware and that we could build it and that it was an idea worth trying. But I also know how fickle the world is and how often, quote-unquote, good ideas um, don't work. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, so through the process, I, yeah, I simultaneously knew it would work and I knew it wasn't going to work and tried to just stay sane holding those things in my head at the same time um, and doing everything I could to try to ensure success. Was there a plan if the funding goal wasn't met? Sincerely, there was not. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there really, I had no contingency plan. I figured like spending time thinking about that would be counterproductive in my opinion. Yeah. You, you I can assume from your perspective, you were just planning that you were going to make it and then right. would work, yeah. would work it out if you didn't. Exactly. So I want to talk a bit about, so obviously, you know, the, you made your funding and, and there's been some, what I consider, and well, everybody I think considers to be some pretty significant changes to the service and additions to the service um, since you launched. So one of them, uh, probably what, well, definitely what I consider to be the biggest um, is the developer incentive program. Yep. Um, so you guys launched the de- developer incentive program at the end of September, um, where basically, you know, I'll, I'll try and summarize this. Um, developers will get a cut 
of, of the, 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 the amount of money that you bring in from um, people paying for the service. Um, and there is an, how much is it every month? $20,000 a month, um, which correct. will be dispersed between um, eligible app.net developers. So they have to opt into the service. And then we all recently as users got our first emails where we could rate the applications that we use. Um, and those that got the, the highest ratings um, would receive the, the lion's share of the amount. Is that, is that a fair um, summary? Yes, that's a fair summary. So, I mean, obviously this is, I mean, developers and users alike um, rejoiced at this because it showed a commitment to developers. So what I want to know is for app.net, how important are developers for you? Um, they are they are everything, right? I mean, just going back to the join.app.net case, <clears throat> originally we weren't going to ship alpha at all. Right. <clears throat> you know what I mean, there was going to be no web app. <laughs> it was going to be, a just the API, and we realized we had to write a working thing that people could touch and use um, to see that it was real or it wouldn't work. And so we called an audible and we built alpha in 10 days in the middle of the backing period. Right. Uh, that was totally seat of the pants, right? None of that code was yeah. written before. Because I guess it was like, you know, right, you're funded now, we're, we're going to take your money soon, but there isn't anything to, for you to use. Oh, no, I mean, we built it during the backing period. Oh, okay. <laughs> because what happened is the first round of podcasts were all like, oh, great idea. These guys are full of shit. Um, they're never going to be able to write this code in enough time. So we wrote Alpha and shipped it oh, yes. you know, 20 days into the backing period. Yeah, because I, I remember now I, I was yep. in the Alpha before the backing was over. And, and I think that was kind of what That's gave what it that, ini- that initial push, didn't it? Because yep. people could see, oh, it does exist. <laughs> yep. That's, no, I think it's the only reason it worked. And that was totally um, calling an audible. And so, so what I'm trying to say is that um, already alpha only uh, accounts for about 15% or less of posts per day and is trending down. Yep. And I'm saying that's good because we don't want to be in... We don't want channel conflict, and first-party clients are not good in terms of channel conflict. So we are making – so what's happening, which, again, is the plan, is that all usage of app.net occurs via third-party apps. And right. the, the notion of first-party apps kind of goes out the window, right? So what app.net actually is is the sign-up flow. It's the billing information. It's the directory it's the developer incentive program. Um, but as a user, your experience is all mediated through the clients built by third-party developers. So from a vision perspective, yeah, that's the, that's the plan here, right? Uh, you know, if anything, Alpha becomes kind of like a fun little toy to look at. Maybe we'll build more toys for people and, and open source them for developers that want to get started. But that's not, that's not our core business. Okay. Yeah, no, so, that's, yeah. It, that's, it's good to kind of clear that up, I guess. Yeah, like the plan is third party, like the, the goal of this experiment from, you know, from me directly is I believe that if you set up the financial incentives correctly um, for devs and for members, that devs will naturally innovate as hard as they can and in a much quicker and higher quality way than a first party company could build. Right. Um, already we're seeing, you know, it's a fact that the best Twitter clients are not built by Twitter, right? That's a fact. Yep. Um, so what we're going to see is just this um, 
Cambrian explosion of 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 innovation on the part of third party devs if all the the financial incentives are done right. And so our job is to is to run the billing part and run um, the directory and you know help with distribution and have the provide the social graph. Um, and we keep up in our end of the bargain and they keep up theirs. And that's, that's the plan. So recently Tapbots um, released their client NetBot. Um, and I think at that point, I mean, it was kind of clear from the numbers as well as just activity that that really boosted the um, activity on, that's correct. on app.net. And I sort of one wondered, how do you feel about, about that? Obviously, I mean, it must've been great that it boosted the activity, but do you have any concerns over one app holding such a large percentage of the users? You know, I, there's a couple things on that. I don't think, I wasn't expecting us to get something like that to happen, right? <laughs> so that was like, wow, I, I can't believe this is actually happening, yeah. um, to have something that polished. Because from a polished perspective, the fact that app.net has shipping software that is literally on par with the very best software available for Twitter this early in the game is shocking to me, right? Yeah. That's um, almost unbelievable if I really think about it. Um, in terms of the market share thing, what I expect to happen um, and what we're trying to optimize for is that non-Twitter-like experiences are built on the API. Um, right. And what we're going to see is there won't be one winner of the app.net client. There will be various verticals of app.net clients that each have their own little ecosystem of what the most popular apps are. Because I know that there's been, there's been discussion of like chat rooms and things like that. And those exist. You can use them, right? So um, patter works and people can use it and touch it. And it's a chat room and it's fun. And there's a small group of people that use it on a daily basis. Um, There's the, the Monday night dance party thing, which is built on this jukebox app someone built. And it's a little bit like turntable FM where you're sitting in a chat room and you can queue up videos to play in a, in a YouTube player and everyone's video starts at the same time. So it's synchronous. Um, and that totally works. I used it. It's real. You can touch it. It looks nothing like Twitter. It's, it's a group, uh, group chat video watching browsing app and it's real. Um, so what I think is happening is that the the minimum viable product is a Twitter-like experience because Twitter was a very, very basic app out of the gate to start with. And looking at things like um, the Tapbots guys and some of the other clients we've seen, these are people that have code bases they spent literally man years um, making good. And it's fairly straightforward to port over. And so I think that's what's filling the channel. That's also what users expect right now is things that are more conventional apps that use existing code bases. But there are things that are being written completely from scratch over time um, that are going to get more and more, how should I say it, um, like experimental or perhaps things we haven't necessarily seen before. And that's that's what's going to make it where um, there's not a single app developer that's the winner-take-all that has, you know, 30% 30% market share, um, it's going to be more like, um, you know, a great deal of different verticals that exist within the ecosystem. So you recently lowered the price of entry. Uh, yes. What informed this decision? Um, so people ask me a lot about this one 
in, in press interviews before about the price thing where um, people were, were up in arms about, you know, what the right price should be or tried to give us advice about it. And what I'm trying to optimize for is financial sustainability. Because if you go back to the core, the core conceptual tenets of app.net is that if the company doesn't have financial sustainability, you know, quote unquote, bad things will happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the numbers we came up with, uh, were based on the, the $50 number came from what we estimated would make sense for the 10,000 users we were looking for, for join.app.net. Yeah. And so I set expectations that as we reached more and more economies of scale, it would make sense to lower the prices because that benefits everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So that does jeopardize financial sustainability, um, and it also allows the service to become more mainstream. In terms of the first price drop, it was because we hit 20,000 users. So literally 2x um, what the original model was expecting. So it made sense to do, to do that first price drop. Um, I anticipate to do more in the future, and I've, and I've set those expectations, um, Really, the two knobs we can turn are the developer incentive program mm-hmm. or lowering prices for members. And those are things that I'm going to be experimenting with um, as, the, as the site scales. Right. Um, and the other thing about pricing is that conceptually speaking, the last thing we want to do is have, like, just imagine that right when we launched the site, um, before any third-party clients were released, it was, you know, free and a million people signed up. Um, I would argue they would have had a pretty bad experience <laughs> because it wasn't ready for that amount of scrutiny, just right. to, be, to be frank. And what I want to see happen is that as we get better at doing our job, right, so now the directory exists and now it's getting filled out and now apps are getting released and they're getting more polished and they're doing a better job of notifications, um, the the likelihood that a normal user that's not a power user would have a good time out of the gate is increasing. And when, when we really nail that, when the ecosystem has a great out of the box experience for, um, more mainstream users than the, than the, um, power user type that we have now, then yeah, I think it would make sense to expose this and give this, um, make it easier for more and more people to access over time. Um, and that's, again, that's explicitly part of the plan from day one. This isn't something we're like, oh, we're lowering prices because our first idea didn't work. Um, that is not. <laughs> yeah. That is not what. That is not the plan here. So I'm looking forward to be able to, to be able to lower prices again and again in the future. Um, at Rafahari asked, this is the first of our um, sort of viewer, sorry, listener questions. Um, what has the impact been of the lower pricing? Has there been um, more signups or? I mean, yes. Um, it's. It's difficult for me to know how much of that is conflated with NetBot um, yeah. and with other apps that have launched, right? So obviously, we, we the price drop happened October 1, and we saw a large spike of signups. Um, and so that made a difference. I just I can't know conclusively what caused what. I do think adding the monthly plan was very important yeah. because people tried out for a, very, for a far smaller um, – Entry fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think that probably made the biggest difference. And I, I, I don't have conclusive numbers about what the price sensitivity is on the yearly plan of 36 versus 50. Uh, I imagine that accounted for something, but I don't have a firm idea. Yeah. Um, 
And um, again, we're going to continue to experiment, right? That's so I'm, you know, it's it's been a learning experience. The five bucks is good because it just allows people to try it to see if they've got a, a, a user base there that they'd be interested to follow. Yep, things like that. It's a good. It's a good start. So I want to take a very quick break um, to thank one of our sponsors, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the future um, of the service. So I also want to thank today Squarespace.com. Squarespace, uh, they are a long-time sponsor of 70 Decibels. They give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace allow you to create your home online, whether that be through a portfolio, a blog, or whatever it is, business sites. They have templates for business sites as well. And I've mentioned templates there. So with Squarespace 6, their their new and current version, um, they provide you with absolutely beautiful, clean templates that let your content do all of the talking. Um, They also feature responsive web design, so you don't need to worry about what your site is going to look like on a mobile device. When you add images or design pages for Squarespace, your entire site restructures automatically so it fits and formats on every device and it maintains the beauty of the site design that you've chosen and maybe customized too. Everything in Squarespace is drag and drop, um, which makes it really easy and fun to use. You just select blocks of content that you want to add and you just drag them into place and you can drag them around all within the browser. So if you want to add photos, videos, text, social media content, it's all baked right in. Squarespace delivers award-winning 24-7 customer support. They respond in minutes and they also have live online workshops to help walk you through everything you need to know to build your amazing site. If you sign up for one of their um, one-year or two-year plans, you get a free custom domain name, which is um, implemented very, very simply in the sign-up process. Or if you have an existing domain name or you want to pay month-to-month, you can link your custom domain with just a few clicks. There's no credit card required to try out Squarespace. Just go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels and start your two-week free trial. Squarespace is $10 a month for the standard plan and $20 a month for a limited plan. If you sign up for one year up front, you'll get 20% off. And if you sign up for two years up front, you'll get 25% off that monthly fee. But if you decide to purchase, click enter an offer code at the pricing screen um, at checkout and just enter the code 70 decibels 11 to get 10% off your first order. So I want to thank Squarespace for their continued support of Command Space and 70 decibels. So thank you for that, Dawson. Sure, no problem. Um, so... We've kind of spoken about this a little bit, um, about you know some of the additional things that can be created with app.net. But I just wonder, sort of from your perspective, do you have any types of things that you would love to see people make using the API in the future? Uh, yes. So personally speaking, um, here, here are my hot button ones. Um, games, um, specifically... the sorts of games that are not the grind type of uh, Facebook games. Right. Um, so I would make an argument that Facebook games are a natural consequence of the Facebook API, right? Like those guys, there was a lot of innovation that happened over five or six years on the Facebook API for us to get Zynga nowadays. Mm-hmm. And they, there was like a survival of the fittest about what kinds of games worked with said API. Um, and so I would like to see games that are nothing like those games at all <laughs> yeah. that, would, that use your social graph because social games are fun, um, but that don't involve, you know, addictive, trying to take advantage of making people addicted to the game or doing all sorts of bad viral loop stuff or spamming your friends. Um, you know, so I think you'd be very interested 
to explore um, that sort of thing. And because it's a paid model and because the developer incentive program, et cetera, et cetera, I think that this sort of environment could support, um, you know, social games that don't have the bad, you know, that don't have the negative connotation that we currently have with Facebook games. Yeah. Um, so I think that'd be quite interesting um, and is definitely worth doing. And I know people have started messing around with that. I haven't seen anything polished and shipping yet um, in that space yet. Um, private messages is the piece of the API we haven't shipped. That's the most important one. Um, and the idea of private messages is it's not like DMS. Um, it's more of like a group texting where a single message could go to any set of people and via this API primitive, you could do all sorts of stuff, right? You could build, um, things that are like group texting apps, um, are pretty handy. Um, you could build things that are like lightweight email ish clients, um, for various, uh, purposes. Um, you could build, um, you know, you can use encryption on top of those things to send encrypted messages that even we couldn't build, right? You would put crypto into the annotation. Um, you could build business collaboration tools using private messages where through a combination of private messages and cryptography, you could build Yammer on top of, of app.net in a, in a secure way. Um, and so this is going to get, um, I think it, it's going to get very interesting to see, you know, I seemed a few there um, to see that one ship um, in terms yeah. of public facing things. I think that um, Jazzy Chad shipped uh, blogs. What does he call it? Long posts, I believe is what he's calling it. Right. So it's a full blogging implementation built on top of the API. And that's pretty fun to check out. I don't know if you've seen that one yet. I have not. No. There, I think forums um, where, you know, it's weird to think about it, but think about what a large percentage of the internet is still old PHP BBs somewhere of interest groups talking about a specific topic. Um, I think you could use the, the app.net platform to, to build kind of small vertical social networks that are all um, around a specific topic. I mean, I would, I would argue even right now um, at the size of the site we have, it's, it's almost like we have a geek social network, right? Yeah. It's, that's what it is. It is. <laughs> that won't last forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, if, you, if you did, you know, because of our business model, we're totally cool with people verticalizing and creating interest groups around different stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, that's something that I'm very excited about, right? Because that's, that's the core of Usenet all the way, you know, all the way back to the time of, of you know, news groups in the early 90s. Um, people talking about shared interests is the core of, of, of online communications. And so I'm excited to see that sort of, you know, those sorts of applications being built. And I think quick communities is the first one I've seen there, um, of people trying to build that sort of topic based discovery and discussion on top of the platform. Um, yeah, that, that kind of fits, um, we had a, another listener question from Alex Arena where he kind of asked, where do you see app.net in five years then? What, what do you, where do you envision the, the, the company and service to be? Yeah, so, I mean, if it's, if it's successful, uh, what will happen is um, app.net is the, is the identity 
slash billing provider that you use to access any manner of different kinds of software. And, you know, one of the nice, everyone likes um, the Facebook and Twitter identity providers because you don't have to share your password with all these sites and it brings your social graph with you. But often those things have a negative side effect of like posting to your wall or spamming your friends or using your, you know, tracking your behavior to target ads to you. There's some, there's some downsides of using those. That's why um, when you offer Facebook connect to users, they don't always log in with Facebook, even though it's easier. So in the future, I think that app.net will be a very handy identity provider to log into these various things. And because, because we're trying to solve for business model issues around monetizing web apps, around monetizing mobile apps, around monetizing services, um, I'd like to believe that it becomes an important part of, of paid content. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like yeah. the, 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 the big, big question of people in the media business, whether it's music or video or print or you name it, is, um, you know, how do I make money and how am I going to eat <laughs> in, in 10 years? And I've spent basically my whole career working on that because I was working, you know, on trying to do digital music for the first part of it. And, um, you know, I'm trying not to get discouraged about it, right? So to me, taking this billing infrastructure that we have with app.net and extrapolating it and making it easy to do things like micropayments or recurring payments or expanding the incentive program as it exists today um, or some combination of all those things, um, I think is a really, um, it's going to be a really important part of, of how people get paid. Uh, because otherwise, if we end up with, the complete race to the bottom of free and everything is free. And it would seem that the only people that are going to make money is people to aggregate 10 million plus users, um, to, to run a real ad business. Um, and there's not going to be a lot of middle ground for, for, um, what would have existed before. So, yeah. So in five years, I, I'd like to believe that we, we have an important part of, um, of, maintaining a quality of life for people trying to work on paid content, whether it's apps or, or you name it. Um, at three car DR asked a question that was asked quite a lot, actually. He was kind of sort of talking about the branding of the service. Um, and, and this is something that I hear come up quite a lot. And it's quite interesting as we've had this discussion today where I can kind of see why the branding of app.net is not really the important thing here, is it? Because that's not what you're, you're not creating a centralized system. Right. I mean, if, if this, if the goal of app.net were to just be a Twitter clone and that was the entire scope of the project, a, it won't work. (laughs) Right. And B that I would be really disappointed. Right. And so I understand why people want us to rebrand and rename it to have some catchy name and have a catchy name for posts. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I'm sympathetic to those and I, and I get a lot of those. It's usually like early, you know, users that come on the site that haven't been there before that start to go there. But to me, having a name that limits the kinds of apps that can get built or that creates a branding guideline that enforces how people use the brand, right? Like, you know, every Twitter client has the bird in it and they're somewhere, right? Or mm-hmm. some kind of pun on bird-like language. <laughs> um, I would argue that's limiting um, in terms of like 
future direction or how users think about it. Yeah. And the goal of the name app.net was to have something that was intentionally so generic that what you know is that it's a way to log into apps, <laughs> um, right? So it's a network of apps, that's app.net, and mm-hmm. that the apps themselves are so differentiated, right, and have such a different user experience or a different goal of what the app is supposed to be, um, that their own brands are what stands, right? Right. Right. It's, they have their own branding, they have their own logo, they have their own mark, um, and that... Because otherwise you end up where it does end up being a zero-sum game of, oh, well, what's the best XYZ client, right? Um, it, you, you're forcing everyone to be on the same playing field. And so, so basically, that's, this has been the philosophy behind the brand. And some percentage of people do totally get it. And some people, even that have heard me say this, still think we should change our name. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. I just it's really hard to come up with a good name and the people that say we should change our name don't have, you know, it's not like they actually have any ideas. Right. Right. It's, yeah. It's just kind of like, um, Oh, you know, this isn't, it needs to have a snappier name to tell my friends about. And, uh, one of the, one of the things that cracks me up from an irony perspective is that, you know, I, I live in the San Francisco Bay area and have for a while. And, um, you know, when, when Twitter came out, it was, thought of as one of the worst names and worst brands ever shipped in Silicon Valley. Because, if you recall, yeah, it was like TWTTR, right? That was how it started. The logo was like this green goo. I, yep. I could find a link to it, but like it was a terrible brand name and we just kind of got used to it. Um, so the fact that people are pointing to that as a great example of a catchy name that users love that mainstream people get is hilarious to me given that the first three years all press about Twitter was like, what the heck is Twitter? What do I do with it? I don't want to tell people what I had for breakfast. Yeah, you know that, I mean? that's what it was, right? It was just breakfast. Why do I want to tell people what I'm eating in my you, sandwiches? And <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, no one knew what to make of it, right? Um, so it, it literally took years, years for any kind of mainstream person to have some semblance of what the brand meant, of what a tweet was, of, of any of these things. So, so, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, I don't know if there's any name in the world for what app.net is, uh, that would immediately resound, would seem snappy and that the mainstream populace would think is a fantastic name that they would immediately want to sign up for. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I don't know if that standard is, is actually uh, solvable based on seeing, seeing things start off small and then eventually go mainstream. And then it seems simple in retrospect. I mean, the more that we've spoken today, I can kind of understand why there shouldn't be branding dictated by you. And it sh- you shouldn't say, this is what a post is called. And this is what a, our version of a retweet is called. Like I understand that now a little bit more than maybe I yeah. did before. It's a slippery slope, right? Cause, yeah. Cause you see how, if we do that, it turns into the same old story again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because then you're just dictating to everybody when really, I mean, like, you know, people are creating Twitter like apps because that's all at the moment that they know what to create. Yes. And, and, and that's they have a lot of code that works really yeah, well. Exactly. <laughs> people know how to make them. Right. So yes. that, that's what's being made. But in the future, as we've spoken about, things like that should actually start to change. Yes. And we see, you know, 
now I can point to things like long posts and patter and Monday night dance party of real things that you can use that demonstrate that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, I still think, you know, given what are we on month three of the service existing month four, um, I anticipate we'll see more and more polished, radically different user experiences as time progresses. And we have the financial sustainability to, to do so. Right. I think that the biggest criteria of what makes a, a startup or a company successful more than anything else is this ability to still be here, right? <laughs> yeah. And whether either it comes from investors or it comes from money they make themselves, but staying power is the most important property of something that makes it. If if Twitter would have would have not been able to raise the money they did, or if they didn't have the courage to keep going, a year in, two years in, it would have been considered a failure. Yep. I would argue, right? Yeah. Um, those guys had staying power, and eventually the world caught up to it. So that's to me, this is part of the paid model. And this is part of the thing we're trying to build is, you know, having something that has, that'll give developers in the community on the order of, you know, months, if not years to really nail something that makes sense to, to the mainstream. Um, at H1RO has asked, what does success look like for, for, for you? Well, I mean, what is success for app.net? Is it user numbers? Is it amount of apps and, and services that are created? I mean, yeah, that's, that's the thing is it's, it's definitely not user numbers. Um, because I've been doing this long enough, I know that because it's a paid service, doing an apples-to-apples comparison with a free service, it will never compare. And, and as I said with my, my previous company, I mean, I, we had 26 million registered users, right? Mm-hmm. We, we had widgets of these music player widgets, and we reached 100 million monthly uniques, um, and we, we were Alexa 75, the 75th largest website on the earth at that time. And I remember how fun it was to have that scale of traffic. And it was a completely free service with free music. So, you know, there's, it's impossible for, for me to fathom app.net ever getting to that level of user numbers or usage. Right. But on the other hand, uh, that previous company wasn't a success because it was not a financial success. And it is not sustainable. And, um, you know, it let everyone down. It let the users down because the service doesn't exist anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So I would argue that um, longevity, dependability, those sorts of things are the properties of success. And that, you know, for me to know this really worked, it'll work because um, apps get built that would not have gotten built or could exist built on top of a free API. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's actually technical innovation. um, That is what success means to me that like, wow, that never, that, that app or that user experience or that community would never have existed without taking advantage of the properties of this sort of API existing. And that to me is the thing that is most exciting that I think will be, the metric of success in the, in the future is, is that sort of stuff. Um, because I do believe that just the way innovation works and the way disruption works that, you know, if you can build killer apps every few years, you really can disrupt the heck out of the previous generation, what the previous generation has to offer. Um, and I think that I believe that third party devs can do so. So it's like, you know, people say that the size of companies like Facebook 
means that they're going to be around forever. But I've, I've personally never really subscribed to that theory. There's just more people to use it. There's just more internet users. You know, whoever imagined that MySpace could be knocked off their perch, but they were. I, I agree. I was as someone that was in the MySpace ecosystem and was was purchased by MySpace and was employed by MySpace for a very short amount of time. <laughs> um, the fact that MySpace could literally turn to dust that fast is shocking. Who would have? I never would have believed it. No. Right? Um, it's it's difficult to fathom how quickly that thing, you know, went to zero. Um, and I think a lot of it was just, you know, they didn't innovate. And if you don't innovate, you die. Um, so that's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's certainly core to my beliefs about what makes a technology company last. So I have one last question for you. And this is actually, again, this is a, a frequently asked one, but I, I've got it here from Andrew A. Berger. And he, he kind of wonders, how do you balance your day? Like you're very active on that, on that. Like how yep. do how do you fit all of that in? Considering you are also the CEO of the company. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of my workflow, uh, I spend a great deal of time in email, um, and like during the join.app.net period, I think there was a point where I had six hundred emails in my inbox, which was caused me no amount, <laughs> like caused me a great deal of terror, right? Like yeah. nightmares about just the sheer amount of email I had. Um, so I've gotten that under control. So, you know, I, I do um, something like Inbox Zero to manage my email workflow to try to keep on top of things as well as calendaring. Um, I try to schedule no more than three or four meetings a day uh, because the, that's obviously saps a lot of productivity. Um, and in terms of being active on the service, that's 100% intentional in that it's important for me to build a community and the most successful online communities I've seen, the founders have been very involved Mm -hmm. uh, and sort of established the social norms about how you're supposed to treat other people and what behavior is and isn't okay. And, you know, just, just those kinds of norms because that sets the imprint that lasts for the entire life of the community, I would argue. And so I've really taken seriously trying to, um, you know, use the service. And, and at the end of the day, I'm just a user given the vision of app.net that alpha is not the end all be all and that people will be doing different things with it. I need to know what it's like to be a user and I need to try every app out and I need to, <laughs> I need to know what it's like to, to be on that side of things. So I try to devote, I don't know, probably two, three hours a day to just participating in the community and getting notifications and trying out new apps and, uh, and talking with devs in terms of my workflow. And, um, you know, like I've been running startups for the past 10 years of my life. I'm yeah. Past 10 years of my life. I've been the CEO of a startup, even if it's a tiny two person startup. Um, and so like I've gotten for better or worse, really good at managing digital workflows and staying on top of this stuff. Um, I don't know. Did, should I be more concrete about what software I use? I'm trying to think of how I can answer that better. No, no, that was that's, that was kind of the way that I saw it. Was just how do you manage it? But it seems like you've got a, a decent system down. I don't think it. You know, I don't think you need, you need to go into apps as such. I think people were just kind of wondering, like, how do you manage to to be so active on the service when we can only assume that you're a very busy guy? 
yes, I am. But it's just, it's all about knowing your priorities. And yeah. you see this weird thing when founders think they're too good for their own service or something, you know, it's like, I've seen the anti-pattern where when you lose touch with what's going on or when you think you're too cool for school to like, you know, <laughs> talk to people, that's when, you know, that's when yeah. your company goes off the rails. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if I can keep up my post volume per day. I, I, I can't predict that, but for God's sakes, I, I definitely am going to always read my feed. Always, always, always. Right. Mm-hmm. I hope, you know, that's, that's just how it goes. You know, that's, I've been, a, I stopped using Twitter because it was stressing me out, but I use that thing religiously for years. And so it's just part of my workflow. As you were saying, you are user zero in this, you know, people want to, they want to see you there because it, you set the, the norms, as you say. Yeah. And that's, I mean, when I first um, logged into Twitter, um, oh, sorry, when I first logged into Flickr, Katarina Fake, there was like a chat client, Katarina Fake said hi. And I totally remember it and it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Like I, so that was a, that made a big impression on me of like, wow, that's, that's the way to do it. And that, you know, Flickr is a very, they, they set the norms early of creating a kind community and a community that's supportive of each other. And I think a lot of it, you can attribute to the founders caring a lot in the very early days. Exactly. So Dalton, I want to really thank you for taking the time because I mean, we have established you are very busy. So I do, I do really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me and, and for our listeners as well, because I know that people are really going to love this episode. Um, where is the best place to reach you? I mean, I assume alpha.app.net slash Dalton, right? Yeah, I, I try to reply to all my mentions. So it's, it's, it's very easy to reach me uh, <laughs> on on app.net, right? I'm I'm about as accessible as you can get, so uh, that's that's the best place to reach me. And the community thanks you for that. Um, so yeah, really, really big thanks for for joining. So next week we're going to be joined by Jason Snell of MacWorld and IDG, um, and I want to talk to to Jason a bit about um, Apple events and and how they are. And, and sort of the experience of, of going there and, and live blogging and things like that. So look out for that next week. Again, thank you to Dalton and thank you all for listening to this week's episode. Thank Igloo Software and Squarespace for being our sponsors. And until next time, bye-bye.